Doctors take Field of Greens for their own health. Here's Dr. Ryan Green to explain. We're like you, too much fast food, not enough exercise. That's why I take Field of Greens. The fruits and vegetables in Field of Greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, all right, all right, everybody. How are we doing tonight? Um, I just now realized that my channel's monetized, so if you feel so kind to um, sponsor me monetarily and send super chats my way, it'd be greatly appreciated. Um, without too much bullshitting here in the beginning, uh, make sure you hit all links below to find where you can find everything I got going on, the supplements and whatnot, and the other podcasts, and obviously follow my guests. I think this will be a really, really cool conversation today. So without further ado, let's go. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica, so... If that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. Welcome, Heidi Briones. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Kyle? Good, good. We were uh, discussing weather and demographics before we hopped on. Uh, I didn't realize that uh, Portland, Oregon was apparently twice as populated as Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know how big Portland is, but uh, Pittsburgh is a, like, you could probably walk it in a day. Your feet might hurt, but you could probably do that. I, I don't know how, if you could do that without Portland. Portland's somewhat spread out. I mean, you can walk downtown super easily in a day, but you know, if we're talking Portland, most of it's located across the river on the east side. Uh, so yeah, you'd have a hard time. You'd have a hard time walking in a day. Yeah, it should be like Jesus and walk on water or something like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> the bridge wouldn't be the hard part. More like the, yeah, the hills and the the hiking throughout and the, the streets and the tents and everything else you have to walk over. Yeah, you know what? Those tent cities are kind of fascinating. But before we get into that, um, why don't you give my listeners a little bit of a uh, introduction for yourself? I know you're, I don't want to say you're a libertarian, but I know that you're a little bit more into the libertarian sphere and you used to be of kind of like left origin, but don't let me ruin your introduction for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, my name is Heidi Brionis and I ran for office actually in 2020 as a Democrat. And, you know, since then I've had bit of a political journey. I considered myself on the left most of my life, um, or at least just independent. Um, yeah, just kind of outside of the sphere of, of, um, definitely not, you know, in the right, let's just put it that way. But, uh, during, uh, COVID and, you know, after my, uh, campaign, uh, you know, a few things happened. I, you know, I went against kind of my, my, uh, cult as I call them now, but my, mm -hmm. my comrades or whatever you would like me to call them on, on a few issues. One being, uh, Biden just in general, I didn't realize why I didn't understand why they were supporting Biden when 
um, you know, people on the left typically did not support um, establishment politicians up until that that time. So I thought that was weird. And then the trans issue became a huge issue for me. And, uh, you know, the left was obviously very much pro trans ideology, which I was, you know, super weirded out by as well, um, being, you know, a lesbian, a married lesbian uh, who's considered herself on the left. And then, you know, COVID, of course, like just the totalitarian authoritarian policies during that whole time really just kind of put the nail in the coffin for me. Um, and then I guess the final nail might have been like when I tried to go and get a gun because of how dangerous it is in my city. <laughs> and I feel like I need one. And I realized it was more difficult than I thought. And, you know, some of the hoops and the waiting periods that I had to go through to at least legally um, conceal carry. Uh, you know, a weapon I, I thought were, you know, ridiculous. And I've just come around and I actually am registered as a libertarian currently. Um, I've been somewhat involved. I'm slightly involved in, in the local party and trying to kind of dip my toes in. But um, yeah, really just on a uh, mission to, yeah, spread, you know, liberty messages, especially like anti-war messages, um, you know, something that I think is something that the Libertarian Party has been, you know, great on, but then also the other issues as well. But yeah, I'm kind of in a weird spot where I consider myself somewhat of a, you know, ex-leftist, um, I guess a moderate libertarian, but I do side with the right on a lot of issues. So that's sort of where I've been hanging out for a bit because I've been trying to uh, get people to, you know, move away from some of this radical leftist ideology and kind of put, put the brakes on it rather. So um, yeah, I, I have a little bit of a following on Twitter slash X, and that's how I'm here. Yeah, nice. Um, I've enjoyed a lot of your posts, and I specifically like that you were kind of able to see a lot of through the, a lot of the uh, BS propaganda as of recently. And I've talked about it a little bit recently with the uh, Israel Palestine conflict, where um, unfortunately it's like they didn't have to drag the right. Um, kicking and screaming back to being pro-establishment. They just went fully willingly to, you know, it's it's almost like we're back in the early 2000s where, you know, the yeah. left was very authoritarian. But there's like this faux divide almost where like people will say, oh, well, look at all these college campuses that are protesting, you know, pro-Palestine, but there's no establishment left that's anti-Israel. Like you could maybe say like yeah. the squad, but they have no real power. Like nobody cares about them. And then the right's all in on Israel. The left that's in power is all in is on all in on israel and then you had a uh, twitter post that i perhaps should let you explain a little bit more about like why the cultural left is a little bit more pro-palestine sure yeah i mean it's i mean i wish it was surprising to me it's not really because that's sort of why i registered as a libertarian because people are like why don't you register as a republican i'm like because like you guys are just i'm just waiting for you guys to be completely you know wrong on something <laughs> Well, this was it. <laughs> it just takes the right war to like really, you know, get the neocons all, you know, you know, fired up. And that's kind of what I was waiting for. I'm like, yeah, you know, you haven't had anything to be riled up about in a minute. So just give it some time. I mean, yeah, you, you know, the right's been good on COVID, you know, good on, um, you know, fairly good, I guess, on Ukraine, um, that kind of stuff. But it's really just as soon as it became, oh, it's Israel now. Okay, well, then, you know now now we're pro-war now we're and then you see the true colors coming out um so yeah so there's that um as far as the cultural aspect i mean you're talking about like the queers for palestine stuff right, right. That, yeah i mean <laughs> if you've been on the left you don't think it's weird i mean i think a few people have made um videos and content around this by this point but if you've 
been on the left or you've been around leftists and you've been on these college campuses and everything else, you don't really think it's weird at all because the left sees everything through the lens of the oppressor and the oppressed. A Marxist worldview. And, essentially. You know, and that's just how it is. And so, you know, uh, in this case, Israel is the oppressor and, you know, the Palestinians are being oppressed, which I think is, you know, factually accurate based on the, the history and the factual, you know, yeah, just everything that's that's on the ground facts. Um, that's that's sort of what's going on. There is somebody with more power, um, you know, more money, more power, you know, all of this in, in that certain region. And that's the dynamic going on. And so in general, that's the way the left operates, because they're always thinking of, uh, you know, how can we have a socialist revolution? How can the, the oppressed, you know, rise up? Uh, decolonization, whatever you want to call it, it's all just comes back to how can we destroy capitalism, um, you know, and basically get rid of private property and, you know, not have anybody have, you know, ownership other than the state and the people that we, th we think should have ownership of things, which is, you know, and, and go all the way to communism. Um, so to me, it doesn't seem weird that there would be queers for Palestine because like there's just, just an overlap of the people that would consider themselves trans and queer um, you know, non-normative and just uh, and be far leftist. And they'd also be against, um, you know, Israel or any other, you know, what they consider to be an oppressor. So to me, it's not that weird. But it, I mean, it's funny because the right will be like, well, they're not looking out for their own interests. And I'm like, they never are. Like, that's the thing with the left is like they're never individualized in that way. They're never looking out for their own own interests in that sense that you guys are. But in the sense that the right and conservatives think it's logical to be like, well, look out for your own, you know, look out for yourself, look out for your family, look out for your own interests. They see everything in the lens of the group and, you know, the, well, what's what's good for this group? And, and you know, how can we like expand this group of the oppressed so that we can get rid of the oppressors? And so when you look at it like that, you're like, oh, they don't care. They don't care if like most Muslims would throw them off a roof or whatever. They don't they don't give a shit because like, <laughs> like they would actually kind of welcome that in a way if it like pushed forward a socialist revolution. Like if they had to like sacrifice themselves, they would be a martyr in that sense. And so they would almost like side more with like, you know, that kind of radical Islamist, um, you know, sense of like martyrdom or like, yeah, just give yourself up for the cause. And like, it's okay to like, you know, just totally sacrifice your own individuality for the group. Um, so that's just sort of like what I think the right misses a lot of times. And I don't know if it's on purpose or if it's just because they just want to make funny reaction, you know, commentary, mm -hmm. which is fine for the clicks and views, but it, it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's not really for, or, um, putting forth a or advancing dialogue when um you know you can just sit there and point out the hypocrisy a lot i mean we've all seen it that like hey look the left isn't consistent on these points like like you said they don't care they're not looking to be yeah. consistent on this <laughs> so like why, why are you surprised that they're holding that stuff up and yeah i think your point is very very well um well laid out there that essentially you know the the way that the left views the world is in a very marxist worldview of like oppressive versus oppressed whereas like the right is a little bit more individualistic and i think like the right wants to dunk on the left like you know all the alt media is going to dunk on the left but they dunk it on it in a way that like their side cheers but the other side doesn't care because like in their <laughs> worldview it's not a dunk like nobody cares right, like, you, like you have to, uh -huh, you have to insult them yeah. from their position mm -hmm. right right yeah so you, you they don't that's where the right misses and it's just like hilariously misses and you're just like 
oh man, you're not making any point that's going to move anybody, you know, like in any direction. Somebody mentioned that to me today, I think. And when my replies, they're like, okay, so what about like the average Democrat? Like they're not like a far, far leftist, you know, I'm like, yeah, they're just a useful idiot for the cause. You know, if they're not, they'll, they'll vote Democrat because that's what they're told to do. And that they don't want to, they're not a Republican, you know, but they're just a useful idiot. And they're like, well, how do we reach those people? And I'm like, well, that's the question. I mean, because <laughs> they're not going to be swayed by you dunking on like, you know, queers for Palestine. They're not going to be swayed by like this conservative argument. Yeah. So like you have to have like much more of a nuanced, like kind of moderate approach to like win mm. those people over to be like, hey, actually, guys, like like what they're doing here is actually completely far leftist. And it's like Maoist kind of shit. And then you have to like really like break it down. But I mean, you know, the average voter is the average voter. They're not really going to take the time to to think about things that deeply. They're just going to be like, oh, conservatives are mean. They're just dunking on. <laughs> they're just dunking yeah, on. They're these, dunking like, on these activists. poor college kids. Yeah, well, they're just. Yeah, yeah. It's just. It's hilarious. I mean, either way you look at it, it's just. It's not. It's not productive. Yeah, well, and it's kind of funny because I think this is a little bit more endemic of the right, specifically like more of the uh, popular figures, like when you see Stephen Crowder, or Ben Shapiro, or name your particularly right wing figure, and they like. The, the title's always like Ben Shapiro obliterates campus <laughs> student. Yeah, and he says like three things, yeah. and you're like, sure, yeah, I guess he obliterated them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're like, how hard is it to dunk on like twenty year olds anyway? I mean, it's always like, oh, he just like destroys this like college socialist, and I'm like, okay, I mean, like he's an adult, and that's like a little <laughs> that kid probably can't even drink legally yet. Like, I don't mm. think it's really that that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very very strange. So particularly coming from the left, um, it's weird for me to talk to people who are from the left because being that I grew up in um, southwestern Pennsylvania and like all in small towns and you know worked in dealerships for a long time, um, I, I always find the leftist worldview very very interesting. Specifically because like I never knew any people who were left around me because everybody you know they either worked on farms or their family were like union workers who were still like you know pretty right. So um, I'm, I'm guessing for you, you're probably exposed to a lot more right-leaning people now at this point. And have you always lived in uh, Oregon? I'm actually from California. I'm from okay, um, so even worse. Los Angeles area. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I'm well, like left-wise. Uh, no, I'd say really? Portland's further left. Yeah, okay. I think Portland and Seattle are further left than sure. most parts of California. I mean, maybe not San Francisco, but I mean, definitely L.A. Um yeah, I mean, I'm from LA, but I'm from Orange County, and I've I've been exposed to conservative thought for a while. I mean, Orange County is really conservative for California, at least. Oh, and right. Where most before. conservatives raise a lot of money um, is actually in Orange County, um, mm -hmm. and I went to an evangelical Christian school um, oh. for high school, so I've I've been exposed to kind of both sides um, for quite some time. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know. I mean. I was actually kind of just a Democrat, more like a liberal, I guess, growing up. And then I got exposed to far leftism more in college, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I went to UC Santa Cruz and that's sort of, you know, where I met some people that were from the Bay and San Francisco and where I met most of like my far leftist friends and got exposed to that and was sort of in that world for, I don't know, better part of a decade, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So one thing that, um, I always hear right wing or more right leaning people say is that, Oh, like, you know, the communists and socialists want you dead. And it's kind of to your point of like, they would look to abolish private property. Um, I don't think the average leftist kind of like you were getting at a little bit earlier. I don't think the average leftist thinks that like, 
much like you said, they're probably just useful idiots and like, hey, you know, Republicans are mean and they believe that, you know, they're going to take away all our, you know, rights. Right. So therefore we have to vote Democrat. I think that's where like most people are. But like I, my friend Kevin, who's in the chat, him and I were going back and forth about the manosphere a little bit. And he's like, oh, well, there's a lot of guys who like hate women i'm like yeah i agree but like these people did not need the man the manosphere's you know permission to hate women like these guys were fuck ups already <laughs> and i think that's the way that like the crazed leftists that you see that go viral on libs of tiktok they didn't need libs of tiktok's permission to go absolutely fucking insane they were fuck ups before the internet ever saw them yeah i mean i agree i mean i do think the internet is push things further for sure because it's is really easy to find you know whatever weird niche you have like and just go deeper into it whether right left or center it doesn't really matter if you have some weird thing that you like right you can find a bunch of other weirdos and like just sit and talk about it all day and feel super validated <laughs> in it you know so it doesn't matter like it could be positive it could be negative and i know you know a lot of people are trying to put out positive content to like try to counteract the the negative cycles you can get into but yeah i do think that the internet it's just accelerated i think people's just crazy you know like in in a lot of different ways and it just makes you feel like it's okay to take it even further and you know go go even another step you know when it's like okay well you know everybody everybody gets desensitized to like you know the vanilla kind of content or you know whatever so I think that it happens on both sides. And that's just what, you know, the right is really good at picking up on that because the right is just naturally reactionary and the left is naturally like more, you know, kind of communal and like tribal and like more just like, like let's just stay in our echo chamber and like support yeah. each other and get even more crazy on our own. And just, you know, they're not really so good at dunking on people like, you know, the left can't meme kind of thing. <laughs> so it's like, they're just not yeah. funny. Like if they try to like dunk on somebody, it's just like not funny, like at all, because they just don't get why things are ridiculous or not, because they're so ridiculous that they're like, anything they see, they're just like, I don't see how that's, you know, like shocking. <laughs> like, 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 I'm the shocking one here, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, Kevin here said, yes, people need similar voices, quote unquote, to yell along with. Um, I, yeah. I think that point, that's a really good point as well, because typically what happens is, especially on, you know, when you get protests or something like that going, people will get all together and then like the worst in them comes out and then you can't hold anybody specifically accountable oh, because, yeah. you know, people are going to look at that group and then judge it by its worst characteristics, never by the good characteristics or potentially positive things. But though a lot of the time people will use that group as, you know, guys to, or as a vehicle to do bad things. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think that's God, what's that psychological phenomenon? I can't even think of it right now. It's really simple, mm -hmm. but it's just, yeah. When you have a group together, you know, they just, they just get all wild and crazy. And I mean, it's been studied forever and that definitely happens on college campuses as a major place where that happens i mean um actually my college uc santa cruz was specifically designed um with that in mind it's it's mm -hmm. like a basically it was designed in the 60s uh post berkeley riots and all that to be a decentralized campus so there's not really a central point where you can gather in the on the campus like you can in berkeley mm -hmm. um so it's just like really really hard to like have chaos and so it's like yeah. a leftist experiment where you throw all these lefties in there but they're all separated by different colleges so there's 10 colleges maybe 12 now on the campus and you can't congregate really easily in one spot so um i think that yeah it's definitely a phenomenon that happens and everybody just gets crazier and crazier mm -hmm. 
So how long have you been in Oregon? Because I know some people kind of throw it out there that like um, kind of some of the bigger cities out West are kind of like leftist shitholes now with tent cities everywhere. Um, I've been to Washington, D.C., which obviously isn't out West, but like I remember seeing a tent city and it was the first time I ever saw one because Pittsburgh, as much as people may want to dunk on it, actually, it's kind of like a nice city. But I remember seeing a tent city in D.C. I'm like, those are real. Like, I thought that was just like something that kind of happens in California. And then I went to New York. I'm like. Oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I've been here five years. Um, yeah, it's definitely a thing. It's gotten worse and worse. I mean, I've been on the West Coast my whole life, so I've yeah. seen it get worse. I I don't really remember seeing many tent cities when I was growing up or anything in the 90s and early 2000s. There'd be some homeless people, but not nothing like this. Just like nothing to this level. And, you know, a lot of it does have to do with uh, fentanyl, I think, and the drug, um, the drug issue, um, I think has just really accelerated things, but, and also the economic conditions, of course, but, um, I do think that we see a lot of people coming to cities where they know that they're not going to get, you know, in trouble for whatever (laughs) behavior they do, whether it's just camping or doing drugs right on the street, um, they'll come from other places to, to do that. And that's what the left has gotten left coast rather has gotten the, you know, the reputation for. So you see a lot of people flooding in just to live that kind of life, um, which is, you know, it's, I guess it's always been the wild, wild west in a way. So <laughs> people always would head more further west for whatever crazy they wanted. Um, it's just getting crazier. Mm-hmm. So kind of on that topic, though, do you think that has to do with relative poverty? Because I've heard people say that, like, when you have a densely populated area that has a lot of relative poverty, then you're going to tend to get a little bit more, perhaps, violence and, um, you know, a little bit more chaos. Do you think there's something to that? I mean, yes and no. I think Mm -hmm. that, yeah, of course, you know, if you have um, some people that just can't make it at all in a location, um, you know, they may get angry or they may commit crimes. And that, that's just, that always kind of happens in cities. If there's, you know, a poor area, there's going to be higher crime, um, you know, in the less, you know, whatever the poor areas. But I think that it's a bit more complicated than that because you will see, you know, rural towns that are suffering, for example, um, you know, doing really poorly and, um, they're not as bad now as the cities, which is crazy. It used to be like there would be kind of tweaker towns and like there was and there's still some of that for sure. But I think a lot of those people have moved to the cities um, because there's just no jobs and like nothing going on in those towns. Um, and they've moved into the cities where they can get drugs and other things. So I honestly think it's a lot of it is the drug, um, the drug issue, because even if you're poor, like it's actually, I don't know what the statistics are now, but it used to be that you would only be homeless for on average, like six months, mm-hmm. um, because you would hit a bad spot, you know, savings, you got kicked out. Maybe you're living in your car, maybe you're on the street for a little bit, but you're like trying to improve your situation. But now yeah. I think you have people moving to the cities to try to, you know, not improve their situation to not, you know, try to find anything to just do nothing and just get away with it. And yeah, I think it's I think it's just more complicated than that. It's not just a housing issue. It's so much deeper than that. They've even given people free housing in cities and then they just end up doing the exact same thing and ruining it and just like squatting in this place with all their friends. It doesn't get any better. So I think it's it's deeper than that. It's like it's mental health, it's drugs, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's a cultural problem. 
a cultural breakdown. You know, usually people would have families that would stop them from getting to this point, right? Like if I was yeah. ever going to be homeless, I have a large family and they'd be like, no, come live with me. You're not going to be homeless, you know, but <laughs> I don't think people have that anymore. I think people's family units have gotten smaller and smaller. And if you were, let's say you only were raised by a single mom and then she dies and then you don't have, you know, any other aunts or uncles or grandparents or anything, then you're kind of screwed. Right. And I think that's the situation a lot of people are ending up in where they might not before. And and also like the mental health aspect where we don't have mental hospitals anymore that covered, you know, a lot of things, too. Yeah, I, I, that's an argument I've heard a lot from the right. And I haven't looked into it. But to me, that kind of makes sense when you don't have somewhere to kind of foster um or host people who might have issues where they can't operate, you know, correctly in society. And that's what say that like these people are like morally bad or anything like that. But there are some people that just can't go out and do the same things that you or I may do every single day. Yeah. And there are people out there who are willing to take a paycheck to make sure that those people, you know, have a, uh, a pot to piss in the window to throw it out of, to metaphorically speak. So yeah. I, I'm guessing one thing that probably brought you a little bit more to the left originally was probably issues like this. And that's probably what led you to run on a Democrat campaign, not like the homeless people, but like inequality, right? Yeah, I mean, I was like a I mean, in 2020, at least I was, you know, Andrew Yang supporter um, and, you know, the whole economic issue kind of populist message of, you know, it was UBI at the time um, was his thing. And I was just, you know, I had a curiosity about it and I loved that he was running on it because I thought that was just wild. <laughs> and I got really into his campaign because like, it was just a really cool little community. And it was definitely the economic issues, like just basically that people in general need a leg up and that there's just a lot of people that aren't doing so well in society. And I feel like they should, you know, have an opportunity to do a little better um, and that there should be some sort of baseline for that. I mean, I've changed my view a lot on that now, um, you know, based on what we've kind of seen um, recently during COVID and otherwise with, um, you know, the effects of people um, not being motivated uh, to work and get out of the house and all that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's really like, the left was appealing to me for a few reasons, the social factors, just like, you know, they were the ones that were for gay, the gay rights and all that. So when I was growing up, um, they were more anti-war than the right at that time, for sure. When I was growing up, yeah. um, I mean, you know, they were actually more free speech <laughs> at that time, too. When I was growing up, the right was actually super authoritarian um, you know, on issues like speech and gay people and everything else. So, yeah, that's sort of just where I naturally flowed plus my family were democrats and you know that's how that goes gotcha so do you still keep in touch with any people who are like old you know old school yang gang i know that was kind of the big thing yeah i mean a lot of them totally canceled me and wrote me off so that's fine but um there's definitely there's definitely some like more because it was such a diverse group honestly like it was a really really diverse group there were a lot of you know, right wing Yang gangers. There were a lot of moderates. There were a lot of far left um, Yang gangers. It was all a mix, um, which you might not really expect on an issue like UBI. The right's like, oh, that's communist and socialist immediately. Um, and it's like, well, I mean, I don't know. It actually attracted like a lot of different people because it's uh, you can look at it from so many different aspects. Like you, the right would look at it from get rid of the welfare state, give everybody a thousand bucks a month or 2000 or whatever your number is, it doesn't matter. And then just get rid of everything else. Um, because you know, at least you could choose what you do with your own money, yeah. with your own like kind of dividend. It was like a dividend, um, you know, the freedom dividend is what they called it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, there's there's definitely like a sector of the more right or moderate um, Yang gang that I'm still super close with. And we, you know, we talk all the time. Well, that's kind of interesting. I, I kind of yeah. figured maybe some of the um, left that was more attracted to the Yang gang message might have been a little bit more receptive to you kind of pivoting away from that. But, uh, you know, that, that kind of sucks that they're not. Um <laughs> One thing that I kind of always thought about when it came to 2020, I don't believe that the election was stolen from Trump. I believe that like, there was a lot of things done perceptually to kind of shift it towards Biden. But I think a lot of people heard his message of keep America great in 2020. <laughs> and they were like, I, I feel like I'm getting screwed here. And to hear a guy saying that, like, hey, America's great and let's keep it this way. I think that did not resonate with people. Hmm. And I think the average voter just kind of said, like, OK, well, this all sucks and Trump's the president. So if we elect a different guy, then it's going to be different. I think that's where most people's minds were in 2020. I'm curious your thoughts on that um, ordeal as well. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, because 2020, just the situation we were in the middle of COVID-19. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people weren't thinking about a whole lot other than the fact that they were like scared, you know, or, you know, there's a lot of fear um, was going on and a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, tribalism and what's so special about hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls head to hero.co to shop today general so i think that it was sort of like a shock and awe campaign um you know i don't know i'm sure there was some shady shit that went on uh, i don't know exactly what or how but i do i do know that there can be shady shit that goes on in elections yeah. um especially when you have like just some weird shit going on in arizona that's just an example that i go to because you have um you know certain people controlling uh you know the elections that you know are definitely partisan and definitely biased and have been heard saying things on tape that are like super shady like we'll, we'll do anything we can to get trump out and i think that that i don't think i think that they really thought that they were doing the right thing so i think if there's any chance or any opportunity for them to sway things a little bit that they would go for it um, but I do think it was very, very close. It was sort of like a 2000, like hanging Chad, you know, situation, mm -hmm. like, like, you know, where it's like, we got to count every, every vote kind of situation. And they didn't want, um, there to be any question, um, as yeah. opposed to like, oh, let's have recounts and let's have all this stuff go on and on because then, you know, Trump would essentially in their mind, be able to stay in like as a dictator. Um, and so they wanted to make it definitive. Um, but I do think it was exceptionally close um i do think it was very 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 close and i do think people were annoyed um by trump's response on COVID. for one um i think that they a lot of people didn't really like that um and there's just a huge sector of never trumper republicans that um kind of rallied and, and a lot of them even voted for biden um and just to get trump out so i think that it was a very odd year it was just like a really 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 odd election year in so many different ways that I don't think will ever be replicated. But I think now I think Trump is kind of a shoe in unless something super crazy happens mm -hmm. um, in the meantime. Yeah, I 
for a while there, I was saying, I don't think Trump will win in 2024. I'm a little less certain, but I would still err in the ways that I think Trump's probably going to lose if he goes again, because I think after four years of him and just seeing kind of his performance, like he has a solid base of people who are going to vote for him no matter what. I mean, he could, you know, what does he say? I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and I, I wouldn't lose a vote or something like that. I think he's right. Um, the people who are going to vote for him are going to vote for him no matter what. But I think he needs a lot of the moderates and maybe even some like defected leftists to vote for him in order to win. And I don't think he's going to be able to pull the rabbit out of the hat again. He's saying a lot of the right stuff, specifically when it comes to Ukraine. But like he's not the the knowledge or, you know, like you can't ask him questions. He just has the rhetoric down. But, you know, for some people that works. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I think they're going to try every stop again to like keep him out. But I mean, I've listened to some of his speeches recently and he's kind of on fire. I mean, you know, he's I mean, the war is definitely overshadowing any publicity and press. Um, but I think if you listen to some of his speeches, they're pretty good. They're like he's pretty on fire. I mean, I don't agree with him on everything for sure. But um, just the way that he, it, you know, just his his charisma, his jokes, the way he just like points at people's emotions, you know, he's he's just so good. He's just like a natural politician. And I think that he doesn't do well in times of crisis, which we saw at COVID, yeah. you know, and which we're kind of seeing now, like he just doesn't really know what to say, like so well on the Israel-Palestine issue, which is a very difficult issue to manage. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's, it takes, you know, somebody very special to be able to navigate it in a way that you could explain it to the average voter. Um, yeah. So I think that we'll see, but I think, you know, no one else has challenged him, I think, effectively in the primary. And Biden is so weak right now. I mean, if it was today, I would say Trump landslide. Um, because he's just so weak. I mean, he's like 30 some percent approval rate. Um, he's literally like just dying in front of our eyes. I mean, he, he can't put together a sentence. I mean, it's not a good yeah. position to be if you're going to war. If people are thinking, like, hey, I'm going to war. Okay, um, do I want this guy who's yeah, he's an asshole, but like at least he's sharp, you know, somewhat like he can he could speak and knows what the hell's going on, or this guy who's like Maybe I agree with him a little more technically, but like he's totally losing it. You know, he's demented. I, I mean, how do you I, I don't know. I just think that people want a strong leader when they're going to war. But then again, they also don't like yeah. change when you're in war. So it, it's precocious. Like, well, we're going to have to see um, if it was before the Israel, um, you know, before 10-7, I would have said, uh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I, I'm favoring Trump right now, but now it's it's a little bit odd and we're just going to have to see yeah, it's kind of crazy because I don't think anybody would have really saw this happening. And I keep up with a lot of the like antiwar.com and foreign policy guys for like the Libertarian Institute. And uh, I remember when they sent over a message, uh, the one guy, Kyle, said, what the fuck is happening in Israel? And I was like, huh? And like initially I kind of thought like, OK, well, it's probably like no big deal. And then <laughs> I woke up October 7th and they're like, oh, like shit's really going down. And uh, it really changed up like the whole political landscape, which is like, oh, yeah. Kind of fascinating to me because you know um jc here said in the chat trump is all in on israel and he always has been um yeah. he tries to make it sound edgy and defied but i mean ryan dawson i don't think you could even win as president on another message sadly i'm sorry yeah. but i really don't think you could <laughs> like i don't think it's possible well, uh, yeah, yeah go ahead yeah the israel lobby has actually donated yeah. um the most money to joe biden to both. Out of 
yeah. Well, both. they've donated a bunch, a, a bunch yeah. to both. But um, if you look at uh, the, who Israel Lobby has donated the most to, like their highest paid person they paid out to was Joe Biden. And, and he beat Hillary Clinton by like two times. So, you know, yeah. clearly Mr. Netanyahu really, really likes Biden. But he also really liked Trump. And Trump kind of threw a little. They play both you know, sides. I mean, well, come yeah, on. that's that's, that's, that's Trump's smart way thing. to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Trump's always did it. Yeah, yeah, you play both sides, so you never have to lose. And he, he's done that very, very well. Where you know, like he says, you know, I tell Ukraine that I would give them everything they need, and I'm going to tell Putin that he needs to make a deal. And if not, you're going to see vicious hellfire and fury from Ukraine like you've never seen before, something like that. But yeah, oh yeah, yeah, he'll, <laughs> he'll play both sides. I mean, I think he's actually pretty decent at it though he's kind of a decent diplomat you know like he's kind of like good at that in a way like he is willing to have conversations i mean i don't know if it's always like you know he's not maybe the most wise way to go about it i don't know because i'm not you know a complete expert on diplomacy but i do think that at least he's willing to have those conversations and i do give him somewhat credit for that for talking to everybody like he would be willing to talk to everybody whereas opposed to biden obama bush anybody else they'd be like I don't negotiate with terrorists. I don't talk to so-and-so. I don't, and I really think Trump would talk to anybody. Like, I really can't see him being like, no, I'm not talking to that guy. Like, like he, would, he would just talk to anybody and like maybe screw it up, but at least like he'd give it a go. Yeah. Um, I had a Brad Pierce on recently. And the first time I had him on, I think he said like, we went from, I, I don't negotiate with terrorists to I don't negotiate. And that's kind of like right. the Biden policy where like, it's, we don't negotiate at all. And if you give a shit, we're going to escalate. We're going to send, you know, we're going to do military drills around you, or we're going to bomb the living shit out of you, or we're going to send the country that like we like more than you. We're going to send them all the aid possible. Like there is no communication. There's no negotiations. And his whole state department is the exact same way. And like you said, to Trump's credit, he would at least be willing to talk to people. And I'm more than, you know, he's the least bad, bad candidate. Like he's the only yeah. guy that's saying the right things at the, you know, at the right time. Do I really think he's going to end the war in Ukraine? Absolutely not. But like to have him out there at least saying it and to have that resonate that's not a bad thing yeah no i don't think so i think like internationally weirdly he won a lot of people over like i you know i've talked to people in china um korea you know taiwan different different places in you know the east for sure and they were all pretty pro-trump i mean you know when it came down to it because they're a little more savvy to how some of these things work and the fact yeah. that he's willing to chat with people, you know, that other people weren't and not willing to, um, you know, just totally give in to anything China wants, for example, um, like Obama or, you know, Biden would um, and just kind of be China's puppet. Um, at least he'd be willing to get pushback and, you know, try to like do some different um, trade agreements and all that kind of thing to try to move things, um, you know, back to the US. At least he's trying, um, you know, certain things that I think, you know, countries like Taiwan and South Korea, um, you know, they did appreciate some of that. So one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, I'm glad that you kind of brought up Taiwan and stuff like that, because this is an area that I, you know, look into quite a bit is the Taiwan China stuff. And uh, you kind of pointed out how people are lumping, you know, Taiwan, Ukraine, and Israel together. And I, I think the reason why people do it is just because there's, there's kind of like the three pet countries, because, you know, we want to prop up Israel to, you know, stick it to Iran, and we want to prop up Taiwan to stick it to China, and then we want to prop up Ukraine to stick it to Russia. But um, you, to your point, 
Taiwan is completely separate. Like there's a very, very deep intertwined history with China. And we're also talking about like a rogue province, if you will, that like China has repeatedly stated like, hey, we seek peaceful reunification, but we don't rule out the use of military force in the situation sure. where we feel like that's necessary. Sure, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, when it comes to like Taiwanese culture and like Chinese mm -hmm. culture, my understanding, you would know much better than me. And I want to get your opinion on this as well. Um, Taiwan culture and Chinese culture, from what I understand, they're not dissimilar at all. Like there are people who have families, you know, in China from Taiwan and like, they're very, very friendly, like the people. Now the government's on the other hand, that's a completely different story. Like I know the Kuomintang um, political party there is a little bit more like, Hey, we want to declare independence, but we're also kind of willing to work with the situation at hand. The DPP is a little bit more like, Hey, we want to declare independence and we're going to stick it to China. And then there's one other political party that I just can't think of who, what they're name is um did i get anything incorrect and what was your experience like there yeah no i mean you're pretty pretty correct there i mean i would say that um taiwan is actually real traditional chinese culture so it's it's yeah. actually was not touched by you know the cultural revolution and mao because chiang kai-shek left um mm -hmm. you know china to basically be like f you i don't want communism i'm gonna go start my own Thing in Taiwan and, you know, went to Taiwan and started a uh, Chinese, you know, basically uh, kept Chinese culture going, preserved it. Um, and if you go to Taiwan, you can still, I mean, there's ev down to everything. I mean, um, traditional, um, you know, Chinese characters are still used in Taiwan. It's the only major place that they're still used. Uh, China uses simplified um chinese characters so that's a massive difference you you can go all the way back with the traditional chinese character to see like the pictographs you can really like break it down into like you know how they came up with this language and it's it's real chinese culture they have confucian temples that have been touched they have um you know all kinds of different temples that haven't been touched um the you know mao and the cultural revolution destroyed um great portions of chinese culture so you have that um of course, you have the Taiwan had a rich history before that and has, you know, Aboriginal people and also had the influence of, you know, uh, Japan and Spain. Um, it's called Formosa, which means beautiful island in Spanish. Um, Japan actually created their road systems. Um, so some parts of it look kind of Japanese. Um, you know, it, it's it's so rich and so full of history. And the way the country is, I would say that Taipei in general is very pro unification with China for many reasons. One, they tend to be more ethnically Chinese and two, just economics. I mean, and three, like safety, like they're, they're right there. And they're like, well, I don't want, it's you know, 90 miles off the coast of China. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're like, well, I don't really, you know, want to put my family in danger. Let's, let's do this peacefully. Um, the further South you go, um, I lived in Taichung, which is in the middle of the island. And it was probably split, pretty split. Um, you know, it gets starts getting kind of split where like some people are pro unification, some people are pro independence. And then the further south you go, you'll find like the hardcore green kind of we're we're 100 for Taiwanese independence. Um, problem is the people that are very much for independence are kind of like hippies <laughs> that don't want, that are also pacifists and that aren't really okay. like willing to. They don't want violence. They don't want war. They don't really want to throw weapons. Mm -hmm. They're not, you know, 
So, so that's kind of, um, you know, an issue there. And the, the people that are a bit more hawkish are already pro unifying with China. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very, very different situation, I think, because Taiwan and China are so interdependent on each other. Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned, you have, you know, people that are from China, from Taiwan, they go back and forth, they, they visit each other, they're you know, I mean, they're also just dependent economically, like they sell them, you know, chips to China, they sell other things to China, China sells things to them. It's it's all very interdependent. And there's not, you know, this deep, um, you know, religious or like, or otherwise, you know, like breakdown and, and also like Taiwan has zero history of being aggressors ever, as opposed right. to all these other countries that we're speaking of, you know, um, Taiwan's never, you know, um, kicked anybody off their planned really or like you know or bombed them or like it's just like they're overall a very very peaceful country and so for them to suddenly be like yeah let's all go to war like you know i mean they're pre they're prepared for it i actually they do um drills all the time like emergency drills in right. case china yeah. bombs and i've heard them and everybody would just clear off the streets and it's really weird when you're there and you're just like what the hell's going on and like you know like no one tells you because you're a foreigner and then you just have to figure it out you're like oh, okay <laughs> They're, they're doing like a uh, drill in case China like starts invading yeah. and, they, and they do it like I think I don't know once a month or something. Um, and yeah, so they're they're aware and they're, you know, they're thinking about it and they're, you know, they want to be as prepared as they could be. But when it comes down to it, I just don't see them really like wanting to like go full out with China. It makes no sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'd get destroyed. Um, yeah. You know, all, all it would take is China to drop like one bomb. I mean, I don't see China like waging an actual war like people talk about that they're like well we'll just give the taiwanese guns and they can just like and i'm like okay but like like culturally the they fact. don't want to do that like yeah <laughs> culturally they don't want to do that too it's yeah. like it's a very mountainous region so china like probably wouldn't right. wage a ground offensive they're not going to just like go in there like i don't i don't yeah. know if it's they would just probably just like just like bomb a portion of mm. taiwan and be like bye like just like pick a city and just be like that city's mm. now gone um, if they were going to do anything, but I don't see it happening. I mean, it'd be so unpopular from every aspect um, internationally. Mm. So I think yeah. China's like best bet is to just kind of wait as long as they possibly can. And well, just to, like, from my <laughs> understanding, that's kind of what they're willing to do too. Right, right. They don't care. They're not in any hurry. They're like not in some kind of hurry to mm. grab Taiwan. Like it doesn't really benefit them much to like do anything because whenever somebody so i was talking to a taiwanese person they're like whenever taiwan does something good they can just claim that it's china anyway so like so like they'll, they'll be in the olympics they'll be well like it's recognized it's recognized that way yeah. um internationally too yeah, that's so a thing like chinese taipei they won the gold medal so we won and they're like so like they, they already like stand to gain by letting taiwan mm. be good and excellent on their own because then they can just claim like well it's us China anyway. So like it, they don't stand like anything to really gain. Um, I, I don't think like it's it's not like they, they can just let it go on and let it stay cold, but just kind of make put the fear in every now and again, um, but never really do anything until either they just decide one day like, yeah, we'll just peacefully do this or, you know, or hope or the other way. But I, I just don't see it happening. It's not the same as Russia, Ukraine, just the history, everything yeah. else. It's not the same as Israel, Palestine. Like, God, it's probably like almost complete opposite. Um, and mm -hmm. So there's, there's nothing religious or like cultural going on in those, in those mm -hmm. ways. And you don't have the oppressor, you know, oppressed situation either. You don't yeah. have the colonizer, decolonizer. Like it's just, there's so many things that make it not the same as these other conflicts.
Yeah, I, and I've always found this particularly interesting. So um, when it comes to like the people and you were mentioning kind of like the further south that you go, the people, those people yeah. are more like independent minded. Do yeah. they identify with like, let's say the Democratic People's Party or do they identify more with like the Tang or like how do they identify politically? Because I've never like got a good explanation on this. And, you know, I read like the South China Morning Post pretty frequently, but that's like the only one that comes to mind when I kind of look up like Taiwanese and Chinese cultures. Yeah, I'm not sure. I just know that they call them the Greens. There's like the Green, who's the Green Party? Um, I'm not sure if it's the DPP um, mm -hmm. or otherwise. Um, I was just having a conversation, but we were talking in colors because that's like they call it the Greens um, and then the Blue, the Blue, I believe, um, in Taiwan. But um, it's a good question. I'm not sure if it's the DPP. Okay, Green Party Taiwan. That might be. I, I believe that they have three different parties there. And like I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure you would know better than me. But I, I think it's yeah the the Kuomintang, the Democratic People's um, Party, and then the Green Party Taiwan is what's coming up in on in um Google. What are the two parties? What's the in Taiwan? Greens? Um, I don't know. Oh, if no, they the, call uh, it the Green Party. Let's see. Yeah, it DPP. says. Uh, the, um two major parties are yeah Kuomintang and the democratic progressive party i'm sorry i had that wrong no i think you got it right that's what i heard at least um so i think the greens are the dpp unless i'm getting that wrong i think that's the same thing okay so well, from what i hear the greens are the unification um party they got green and blue the green and blue party that's just really mm -hmm. what i, I haven't really identified as kmt versus uh, dpp but i guess it's the same um pan blue plant green um yeah i mean there may be another party but uh that's it's generally you know split between those i believe mm -hmm. so i've also heard that a lot of asian people are very very racist which um <laughs> <laughs> like i i've heard from a lot of people that um talk about chinese culture they say like they're incredibly racist to other people and um i you know obviously we hear a lot of the same stuff come out about like you know jewish cultures that they're very very i don't say nepotistic but like very inwardly focused like you know a lot mm -hmm. of practices in israel like hey you don't marry outside of our race or religion and it seems like chinese culture might be the same way and i'm guessing taiwanese culture might be a little bit different but maybe more the same um what do you know about that yeah I mean, I lived in Taiwan and I would say that, uh, I mean, they're definitely, it depends. Like if you're in the cities, I would say probably not as much. Um, mm -hmm. they're pretty, you know, liberal actually. I think Taiwan was like the first country to have gay marriage. Um, oh. they're, you know, you could even say they're woke, I guess, by country. standard, if you want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Country. Well, I mean, shoot, if they can, you know, have legal, <laughs> they can have laws, but whatever. <laughs> they can have different laws in China, but, but they're not mm -hmm. a country, sure. Um, so, yeah, so they've had, they had like gay pride and all this kind of stuff for a while. Mm -hmm. And they're, especially in Taipei, I would say Taipei's like pretty open-minded and not, mm -hmm. I would say not that racist, um, more international. It's a very international city. Um, but if you go to rural areas, yeah, I mean, if you're a foreigner, you stick out like a sore thumb. Um, and then there is also the issue of if you're a white foreigner versus black foreigner, they definitely look at you more um, if you're black um, in Asia in general, I think, than, than other places. Um, 
But I would say Taiwan is just very, yeah, it's pretty Western for an Eastern country in a lot of ways, like in the bigger cities. So that I don't think, I think that's kind of going away. I don't, I don't think there's too much, um, you know, ethnocentrism or, you know, um, okay. xenophobia as much anymore. Um, I lived in South Korea also, and I would say South Korea, maybe even a little bit more racist. Um, mm. But again, only in the smaller towns. Um, if you're in Seoul, mm. if you're in Taipei, if you're in these big cities, you don't really feel like, you know, you feel like you're in a Western like ish country. I mean, it's, you know, it's okay. fairly it's, it's very capitalist and very free. Sure. What years did you live in uh, Taiwan and South Korea? Taiwan was 2007 and 2009, okay. and South Korea was 2012 to 13, I think-ish. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, see, that's fascinating because more recently, specifically since last year when Nancy Pelosi made her trip over to Taiwan, um, they blockaded the island. And now there have been tons and tons of military drills in the Taiwan Strait recently. And then, you know, the U.S. sails warships, you know, through the Taiwan Strait once a month, mm -hmm. and it's actually gone up under Biden. And then, you know, he's also sent nuclear submarines up to South Korea and then sending all these arms, you know, helping Japan double their military budget by 2025. Like a lot of stuff's going on over there. There. So I almost kind of wonder what the cultural differences are or like how that whole situation is kind of seen now, because I feel like the people yeah. probably feel like abused kids in the situation, like the people of Taiwan are like, we're like getting beat the fuck around and like, we just, we don't want any part of this. But then, you know, you have the governments, you know, the U S is trying to, is selling weapons to Taiwan and then China yeah. obviously looks at that. It's like a big deal, but they look at like the congressional delegations is a bigger deal is my understanding. So like when America sells Taiwan weapons, China doesn't like it, but when they send officials over, Nancy Pelosi, or like they have all these governors and different congressional members, right. and well, that's Senate embarrassing members. to them. Exactly, they, that's, it, that's an embarrassment. They, they just don't want to yeah. be embarrassed by Taiwan, is what it comes down to. Really, like they don't care. They want Taiwan to do good things, but not yeah. to like embarrass them and to be like sure. we're a country and you know, and like we're different than China, you know, and like mm -hmm. people are showing you special attention. Like, it's kind of like that. Like, they're like, they're like jealous. They're like, no, you don't show them attention. You don't like, they're not a thing. The, the prettier, younger brother yeah. or something. Yeah. Like they're not cool. They're not a thing. Don't, don't talk to them. You know, like, it's like, it's almost like that. And I think, I mean, I still know a lot of people that live in Taiwan, um, you know, that have been there since I was there and they say everything's kind of much, pretty much the same. I mean, mm -hmm. they don't really like just, I don't know. They, just the, the feeling on the ground is not any more fear, really, or or anything different um, from what they tell me. It's just like kind of the same. Like Taiwan is Taiwan, and it's people just go about their day. They're very much like you know, they're Taoist, they're Buddhist. They're very much like we just go about our day, and we don't like <laughs> we don't change a whole lot of things. Like they care about you know doing their kids doing well in school and you know, who's going to be a doctor in the family and that kind of stuff. And it's just, mm -hmm. they care about exceptionalism and, you know, having a good life and, you know, eating good food and the same kind of things that they've always have. So, um, they just, yeah, they don't get too involved. It's a, it's a very Asian thing is to not mm -hmm. get all excited about stuff and act like, you know, crazy about things. They don't really love that, but I have talked to some like younger Taiwanese who will give me a little more perspective um, than my foreigner friends. And um, a lot of them were very worried about um, Biden coming in. Actually, they thought that um, Taiwan was definitely going to go the way of Hong Kong um, if Biden went in. 
Um, mm -hmm. So some of my language partners that are a little younger um, and they were concerned about that. You know, they, they said like Obama was China's puppet, this kind of things they would tell me and, and Biden's the same way. And Biden's just Obama's puppet is what they would say. And, and we liked Trump because he was helping us and he was going to make sure, you know, it wasn't going to happen under him. And we believe that. And now we're concerned. Um, and yeah. we would, you know, we prefer to have Trump um, than Biden is, it, is their feeling. It's kind yeah. of funny because like the right gets it completely wrong because they say that Obama or Biden are, you know, China's puppets. But though Obama was the one that launched the pivot to Asia where he named where, you know, the State Department for the last 10 years has named China as the number one threat. And then Biden has done everything he can to military or militarily encircle China. And to Trump's credit, I don't think that he was as hawkish. Like rhetorically, he didn't like China, but I don't think he wanted the war. I think he just didn't like the fact that China was becoming a prosperous nation. I think he wanted America to be number yeah. one. Like this is my country that's conquering the world business-wise. He didn't want the military yeah. stuff, although he did do a lot of bad stuff militarily. I don't think he wanted it the same way that like a George Bush or a Joe Biden would. Yeah, because he's not... A neocon in that sense he's not an ideological you know neocon where he's like he's not ideological to, at all you know yeah he's not ideological yeah. at all exactly he's just he's just a populist he's gonna go with whatever the, the feeling is whatever he thinks yeah. the people want whatever he thinks is you know the way to win you know in whatever sense he's looking to win so yeah. um yeah i mean interesting but but we'll see i mean i don't know i mean taiwan it's a tough one for me because i really don't give two shits about ukraine russia um you know israel palestine i mean it's sad and horrible but i also yeah. really don't give two shits but i do kind of care about taiwan because i think taiwan is a badass country that really does preserve chinese culture and i don't want to see um you know a cultural revolution where they go and destroy um the, the traditional chinese culture because they're they're scared of it being a threat to communism um you know in the ccp so uh We'll see. I mean, I just hope that Taiwan just hangs in there as long as possible and just keeps it cold. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. So um, I got another show to do here, do here yeah. in a few minutes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Heidi, this is absolutely fantastic. And yeah. I really, really appreciate your insights on Taiwan because, um, you know, I never got to talk to anybody that's been there. And like now, I, I never wanted to go anywhere outside of the U.S., but now I'm like, wouldn't it be cool to go to like China or Taiwan? It would be just cool shit to like go over there and just kind of like experience it, it. Yeah. yeah all right yeah so good give Thanks your plugs so where everybody can find you and all uh, that yeah stuff. just heidi brionis um, i'm on all the major platforms um you can follow me on x slash twitter where i'm the most active um you can also follow me on youtube and rumble and i think it's all heidi brionis it's all at my first and last name so uh thanks for having me yeah of course all right everybody you heard her follow her everywhere and until next time take care bye